Luke 14. We're going to be in verse 25, and we're going to continue sort of this uh, mini-series that started two weeks ago when uh, we spent some time discussing the significance of church two Sundays ago after the Supreme Court decision that redefined marriage in this country and all the, uh, the real upheaval that was happening on that weekend. And we said on that Sunday that that was a significant Sunday because that was the first Sunday that the church in this country was meeting with a new definition of marriage uh, as stated by the Supreme Court. And, and as, as the Christian community in, in, in the country was grappling with that, you know, we, we read an article, and, and, and that article really, I think, summarized it very succinctly. And, he, and, and the author said, well, in light of the Supreme Court's decision, a whole lot has changed, but nothing has changed. Right? Circumstantially, legally, socially, culturally, there's a whole lot of change happening. But as a believer, nothing's changed in terms of our calling in following Christ. And so to try to try to steady ourselves and to try to try to stay focused on our true calling despite all the turmoil and change in our culture and society, we said okay, let's spend some weeks just trying to get laser focused on what has not changed. What has not changed um, because it's so easy if you, if you watch too much news if you talk to too many people, right, and you get all these vast human opinions, you can get tied up in knots really quick, really quick. You can get depressed, you can get discouraged, you can get angry, you can get frustrated. And, and a lot of that is because you've taken your eyes off the Lord and Scripture. Because we saw two weeks ago that nothing has really changed in terms of who we are in Christ. It doesn't touch our identity it doesn't touch our salvation. The only thing that's really changed is what it means to follow Jesus in a different environment. But we're still called to follow Jesus. And in verse 25, starting in Luke 14, we read a passage that really zeroed us in on the heart of following Jesus, being a disciple, a follower, right? Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Right? And, and we saw in, in, in that passage, Jesus isn't telling you to hate anyone. He's not telling you to have positive antagonism and angst towards your family. What he's saying is, hey, if you're going to be my disciple, in 2015, in the United States of America, nothing has changed. I, Jesus, need to be the number one love in your life. That's what it says in Matthew. You've got to love me more than any human relationship. In fact, love me so much that in comparison, it looks like you hate other people. That's, that's where that word hate comes from. It, it's not a, a positive hatred towards anyone. It means love Jesus so much that that degree of love, any human relationship pales in comparison. And then he even says, right, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He says, hey, you've got to love me even more than your own life. 
Now, I mean, we could literally spend years just on those verses. Because those are verses where we, we, we raw, raw, and we go, yes, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he's like, do you really love me more than any human relationship? Do you really love me more than your own life? Are you willing to take up your cross? Really? Right? And, and we looked at that, that, that the call to be what we call around here a phrase, if you're around this very long, you're going to hear this word, all in. Jesus says, you've got to be all in, man. You you, you gotta you gotta love me more than any person, and you gotta love me more than anything, right? Because if you look down at verse verse thirty three, he says, "In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple." Everything, everything. Now that doesn't necessarily mean literally you're gonna go sell everything, unless he asks you to. See, it's it's a heart check. He's like, hey. By the way, who owns all that stuff? Who owns it? Right? And, and, and we were in a, in a group one time, and one of the guys, you know, we're, we're challenged. Who owns all this stuff? And one of the guys says, well, that's easy. Who gave it to you? Right? The Bible says, what do you have that you have not been given? Right? But in the American culture, I work hard. It's mine. It's my stuff. My stuff, my stuff, right? And, and Jesus is saying, hey, man, you got to love me. i got to be the number one relationship. And everything you have materially, all your resources, at the heart level, you got to hold them like this, with an open palm. you gotta, you got to put it here and say, okay, Lord, I'm just a steward. I'm just a steward. I'm taking care of what you've given me. But we have been trained and ingrained in our culture. No, it's mine. I own it. And, and, and sometimes God has to pry our fingers. <laughs> okay. Here. Right? And he's like, no. If you want to be my disciple, this all in, love me more than anybody. Love me more than anything. Right? And then last week, in, in, in honor of July 4th, we said, well, how is that possible? And we said, well, okay, last week, July 4th was all about the country was freedom. Right? Freedom. And in the world's definition of freedom, it's what? To do what I want, when I want, however I want, right? Freedom, as defined by the world, is I'm the boss, and I'm free to do as I please. That's how the world defines freedom. We saw last week that biblical freedom is really this, the power to choose God's will. That's true freedom. In fact, the Bible says when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you and you are no longer a slave to what? Sin. So by default, if you don't know Christ, you are a slave to sin. That's biblical. So who are really the only true people walking around this planet when it regards to sin? Who? Thank you, Diana. We have one free person in the crowd here, right? If you're a believer on Christ, the Bible says you are free from slavery to sin. Amen? That means when you are tempted to sin, you now have the power to say what? No. And not just no to sin, but yes to God. Thank yes, yes, God, Veronica's like, God, yes. Right. See, and this is that's very important because a lot of times we define Christianity as just a bunch of no's. Don't, don't, don't. 
bad, bad, bad. Don't do this. Don't do that. Good Christians, stay away from there. And, and, and that's only half the story. When you have freedom in Christ, you can say no to the sin of the world and say yes to God. Amen? And it's the yes to God. That's the joy. That's the transformation. That's this thing called sanctification. But a lot of us define Christianity as just being morally neutral. Just morally neutral. Which means I'm going to avoid all the bad stuff and just... Huh. But I'm not doing all the bad stuff. But I'm a good Christian. But I'm not doing all the bad stuff. Right? The joy, the walk with Jesus is saying yes to Him. Daily. That's the joy. That's Robert, I know it's okay to use you. You don't have a choice. But anyway, um, here's the joy. And, 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 and Robert knows I love him. Robert came to us a while back, and we discovered he had the gift of the piano. How many of you have been blessed by Robert's thing, right? Robert came to us, and he was very humble, very humble. And he started, he asked if he could come and just be with us on Thursday nights because we do devotions. And, and, but he didn't want to play too much. And he was very humble, and, and he was still just getting his feet wet with it all. And over time, Robert listened to God and he said yes okay Lord I can play a little more I can play a little more I can get out of my comfort zone I can come up here and my heart's beating like this but as he has continually said yes to the Lord in this area of his life he has continued to grow how old are you Robert? 71 through your obedience in this area has God grown you? whoa yes he said whoa in many ways in his own personal walk, in his own maturity. 71, and in his own spiritual maturity, because he has been saying yes to God in an area where he was uncomfortable and had to take baby steps. At 71, how long have you been a Christian? 50-some years walking with Jesus. He comes here, and a goofy pastor keeps pushing him to do more. And he's listening to God, and he's obediently stepping out, even though he's scared and nervous and not always perfect, but that's okay. And at 71, God is still transforming that man because he says yes. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he has to choose to die to himself and come up here by faith, and God still transforms him at 71 after walking with Jesus for 50 years. You see, it, it never ends. A lot of us go, okay, I'm, I've been walking with Jesus long enough. I'm good. I'm good. And we click on the cruise control. Get set. We're going to cruise control until it's time to go to heaven, right? No, sorry. In your walk with Jesus, there is no cruise control. He wants to keep transforming you and changing you and showing you new things about Him and about you, even through the piano, even if you've been walking with Him for 50 plus years. Amen? It never ends. That's the joy. That's the joy and that's the freedom. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say no to sin, but more importantly, we can say what? Yes to, yes to God. Right? Yes to God. And so we're going to continue this. We're going to go down to verse 34 in Luke Luke 14, because Jesus continues this, this illustration about our following Him. And look at verse 34. 
says this. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, they're going to read it again, but let's go back. Let's start in verse 33 to kind of give it some of that, the bridge of the context. Verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you've been in the church for any length of time, this idea of being salt is, is familiar, maybe overly familiar. But in the context of Luke, Luke 14, it becomes very clear what, it, what he means by being salt. Because in Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled them in. So very important, in Matthew 5.13, he says something that's already true about you. What does he say in Matthew 5.13? You are the salt of the earth. All right? Who, who is he talking to? All right? Let's, go, let's turn to Matthew 5.13. We'll make it easier. Turn to Matthew 5.13. It's part of the Jesus sermon, Beatitudes, right? He's talking to his disciples. So Matthew 5.13, what does he say? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the salt of the earth. Who is he talking to? He's talking to believers. Right? He's already stating a fact about part of your identity. He says, you are. You already are, as a believer, you are salt. It's, it's who you are. Right? Now turn back to Luke 14. In the context, he's talking about being all in, loving him more than anybody, loving him more than anything. And in verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? He's saying this, and this is very important, because even as a young believer, I grew up sort of believing or maybe being taught that I had to go be salt by doing something. You ever kind of catch that? Oh, I got to go, I got to go across the world. I got to go do this and that. Then I'll be salt. We, we equated, and it's it, it kind of, it's very subtle, you have to be very careful. We, we tend to equate doing salt instead of being salt. You see the difference? You are salt as an all-in follower of Jesus. Salt isn't something you go do necessarily. It flows from your identity. It flows from the choices you make daily. It's very, very important in the context of Luke 14 because a lot of people say, well, Jesus says I've got to go be salt. That means I've got to go do something. I've got to go do something. No. All you have to do is be an all-in follower of Jesus. You've got to be. You've got to be. And here's the important thing. To understand what his readers, what this audience would have, would have heard when he preached in Luke 14, uh, I... Years ago, I got to go to Israel. We visited the Dead Sea. And if you ever get to go to the Dead Sea or Israel, how many of you would love to go to Israel? Just haven't been or would love to go back? Pray about that because we are. We are and have discussed taking a church trip to Israel because it's just one of those things that will rock your world. 
um, when you, you you stand at places where Jesus actually spoke these words, it's, it's, your mind goes nuts. You're like, man, really? This is where Jesus was? What? You know? It's, it, but anyway, so we go to the Dead Sea. And, and in Jesus' time, a lot of salt came from around the Dead Sea. And if you go to the Dead Sea even today, you have to be very careful because as you walk out, it's sharp. There's a lot of salt and a lot of gypsum mixed in with the minerals. And there's jagged edges. And you can actually cut yourself. And it is super salty. I mean, the Dead Sea, is, it's kind of funny because you can just float like this. You don't sink in the Dead Sea. It's so buoyant because of all the minerals in there. Right? But if you have any cut anywhere on your body... The Dead Sea will let you know exactly where it is, just like that, right? Because it's so salty, right? And we went there, and you go, oh, look at this, this is the salt. And so what Jesus' listeners would have understood was he's talking about salt, and primarily in that era, salt was a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, okay? So that's the primary purpose of salt. Now, as it was collected from around the Dead Sea, there's two ways that it could be corrupted or contaminated. Two primary ways. One way is if gypsum and dirt and all the earth and all the other stuff got so mixed in with the salt that it was just contaminated. It would lose its preserving quality. The other way would be if, if it, was, it was good, right? There was just the right balance and it was still salty, still had that preservative quality. If water came, the salt makeup would leach away and it would be left with stuff that looked like salt but didn't have any of that quality in it the preservative quality but it looked like it and so Jesus is saying hey salt is good but if it loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again he's just coming off saying hey you want to be my disciple love me more than anybody Love me more than anything. And then he goes right into salt. What's he saying? He says, hey, disciples of mine, you've got to be real careful about being contaminated by the stuff of the world. Because just like too many minerals coming in, just like water leaching away the salt, you know what can happen? We can look like salt we can sing like salt. We can gather and look really good, church. But we don't have any of that quality that the world needs. But we look like it. We know how to talk it. We know how to dress. We know how to do church. We carry our Bibles. We know how to do all the programs. He says, hey, it can look like salt. But is it really still effectual? Has it been contaminated? Has it been corrupted by other things that really defeats its number one purpose? Its number one purpose, right? And as I was thinking about that, it really challenged me in many ways because <sighs> how many of you desire to just be all in for Jesus? I mean, really. I mean, not, you're not perfect. I mean, just, you just desire, right? It's like, Lord, yes. Lord, I want to love you. Lord, I want to love you more than anybody. Lord, I want to love you more than anything. Is that, I mean, is that your heart, right? God knows your heart. And He knows you're imperfect. But here's the challenge. Are you willing to say, Lord, how salty am I? 
Lord, are there, are there things in my life that I'm allowing in that are really affecting my effectiveness as salt, as, as in who I am in Christ? Right? Let's turn to, to 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15, that's towards the back of the Bible. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 John, right? 1 John 2.15. Look what it says here. 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. When he talks about the world, he's talking about the sinful, fallen world value system under, who's under the headship of the prince of the world, Satan. Saying, hey, all that stuff of the world, don't love it. It's not from the Father. It's not from the Father, right? Turn to James 4.4. Let's go back a few books. James 4.4. James comes right before the books of Peter. Look what James 4.4 says. Here's a very powerful illustration here. James 4.4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Wow! Wow! I mean, that's powerful. He's like, hey, where are you? Are you you being adulterous with with Jesus? Are you being adulterous with God because you're trying to play both, both sides of the fence? You got one foot in the world? And then you got the other foot, you know, with God. And he's like, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Wow. Wow, and then turn to Matthew 6. Let's go back to the Gospels. Matthew 6, 24. Look what he says. Matthew 6:24 No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? So what he's saying here, hey, you want to be salt? You got to make a choice. The level of your saltiness is directly related to the choices you make regarding the things of the world. No to the world. Yes to Jesus, God, right? More no, more yes equals greater saltiness. More no, more yes equals greater saltiness. And this is where, this is where, honestly, this is where the rubber meets the road. Especially, I'm, I'm be honest, especially in our culture. In our culture, 
we're just comfortable. And, and, and we, we, we can get lulled into tastelessness. We can lose the effectual power of our saltiness very, very subtly. You familiar with the frog in the kettle illustration, right? That happens with us. Turn to Revelation 3. Let's look at what Jesus says to a church that actually went through this. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3.14 To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This church was a very wealthy church in a very wealthy city. And because the people who attended that church were comfortable in their wealth, in the material prosperity, they were spiritually bankrupt. And they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. This church, as a whole, had lost its saltiness. As a whole. And Jesus says, you guys got so much stuff. You're so materially comfortable and you don't even get it. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked spiritually. Jesus just says, boom, here's the deal. To a church. To a church. He says, you're not salty. You love the things of the world. You're adulterous. You're saying yes to the world and you're trying to do say yes to both it doesn't work that way and it's interesting right that verse here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and eat with him and he with me that is actually misapplied many times for evangelism a lot of people say hey jesus is knocking on the door of your heart non-believer and if you open the door of your heart he'll come in that's not who he's talking to in the context who's he talking to Believers or people who profess to believers. So this is what Jesus is doing. OVCF. Can I come in? Can I come in? That's the context of that verse. It says you guys are so comfortable. You've lost your salt. I'm knocking and asking if I can come in. Can I come back? Can I come back? That's the context of that verse. That Jesus says, hey, to follow me, you're all in. But the things of the world, your comfort, you live in Ojai, Southern California, SoCal, you know, and all this kind of stuff. 
Can I come in? Can I come in? And here's the thing. Look what he says. I love in verse 19. Those whom I what? Those whom I what? Love. He loves you. He loves me. He says, I love you so much I'm going to rebuke and discipline you. As a father does. Amen? He loves you so much he's going to call it like it is. You don't got salt anymore. And then look what he says. So be earnest and repent. That word repent, kind of a big churchy word. It means this. Lord, I love the things of the world. I've been doing my own thing. I love the things of the world. To repent means, oop, Lord, I'm saying yes to you and no to that. Yes. Repent just means to turn 180 degrees. Just turn 180 degrees. Admit it. Confess it. Receive God's forgiveness. And then just start saying no to the world and yes to Jesus more and more. And your saltiness does come back. Like that. If you choose. If you choose. It's a choice, right? So in the context, the people would understand, wow, man, yeah. Because when salt would get bad, they literally would just toss it on the pathway to harden up the pathways and just... Right? So they got, they got his illustration. As I was thinking about this, uh, there was, you know, it's funny as you study for sermons, you come across a whole lot of things that you didn't even know you were going to learn. In the context of, of this passage in Luke, very important, Jesus is talking about the salt in that era. Okay, He's not talking about our table salt. But I came across some, some very interesting chemical, chemical knowledge about the chemistry of table salt that I think some of you will find uh, challenging and even helpful in understanding what we're talking about. Because if I have a jar of water here and I put salt in there, right? What eventually will happen? It'll dissolve, right? It'll dissolve, right? Now, just understand, this is a modern-day illustration. Hermeneutically, you can't apply this because Jesus wasn't talking about sodium chloride as we know it. But I want to I just show this because it's very important, right? Ailey, go ahead and put the screen down. Something is happening right now. Right now, something is happening in this water as we're sitting here. It's immediate. Something is happening to that salt. To that salt. Now, table salt is... Go ahead, Ailey. Table salt is uh, what they call an ionic compound. It's made up of sodium chloride, right? Now, an ion is a a charge. So sodium is positive, chloride is negative. They are attracted to each other, right? They're in a bond. It's It's an ionic, very stable compound. Boom, right? So they're just like tight. What happens when you put that? Okay, go ahead, next one. So when you have a molecule of salt, it's just a whole bunch of sodium chloride stuck together, right? Positive loves negative, and they're just, they're just all, all happy. Group hug. It's a big group hug, right? That's a molecule of salt. is a big group hug of positives and negatives, sodium chloride, all just hanging out together, chilling, right? You put them in water, something happens. Go ahead. The water molecules, H2O, are also positive and negative. What they do is they start to surround the sodium and the chloride. And all the positive waters come around all the negative chloride. 
and they start to pull them apart because they're attracted. And so what was once tight, me and sodium, sodium and chloride, we're we're tight. Nothing's ever going to mess with us. You throw them in water, all these little H2Os come. Hey, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. And little by little, you see it over here, the NAs and the COs get separated by the water molecules. That's what's happening there. That's what happens to us if we're not careful. Because we live in the world, but we're not of the world. And when you are in the world, hey, come on, come hang with us, little H2Os. We're harmless. And little by little, you get drawn away and drawn away and you just dissolve. And you're like, how did I get here? I used to be reading my Bible every day. I used to be praying. I put my hands up in worship. I don't even want to go to church anymore. What happened? What happened possibly is you got attracted by the things of the world and you got separated from the family of God. From the people that we we stay together. And the things of the world just come around. Hey, come on. And one by one, that's what happens. That, that sodium chloride just gets picked off. And as soon as the process starts, it gets easier because the water gets in and in. And all of a sudden, all those tight bonds are attracted away to other things. Are attracted away to other things. Thanks, Al. You can go to bed. The difference is this. Jesus doesn't move. I know. You're used to this now. So here's the difference. If, if, if I'm sodium and he's chloride... Right? And all these little things of the world come along. We can both, if we're not careful, do that. Right? He can go, okay, and he can do his thing that way. Right? The difference, and this is where that illustration falls flat, if he's Jesus, I'm the only one with the potential to move. You understand what I'm saying? The things of the world don't affect him. He's solid. We're in covenant. He's not going anywhere. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? So we're tight. It's me over here with the things of the world. Oh, no. Oh, no. Jesus doesn't move. Jesus doesn't move. It's us when we allow the things of the world to surround us and attract us away. That's when our saltiness dissolves. And then Jesus says, Hey, church at Laodicea, I'm calling you out, but it's because I love you. I love you, and all I want you to do is repent. I want, you to, I want you to turn back and just come back to me. Just come back to me. And how do you do that? You confess. What is confession? It's just saying, it's agreeing with God. God, I agree. I'm busted. I've been sucked into the things of the world. You're not my first love. I love other things more than you. I confess it. It's sin. Forgive me. And he will. Lord, in the flesh, I know I'm going to keep going after the things of the flesh. But in the spirit, as I walk in the spirit, Lord, I know I'll come back. So I need the Holy Spirit. This bond right here is a supernatural bond. You got it. We make choices. It's our lit- we, ha- we have the will to choose. But this bond is a supernatural bond through the Holy Spirit. Amen? We got to choose. We yield. We submit. Say, Lord... I- 
I need you because in the flesh, I know I'm going to be tempted. In the flesh, I know I'm going to be lazy. In the flesh, I'm comfortable. In the flesh, I want all that stuff of the world. I want it. Let's just be real. Why do we sin? Because it's fun and pleasurable. Just admit it. It's just things of the flesh. It indulges our flesh. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say no to that and we can say yes. And we can stay right in the bond that we need. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Jesus and Matthew, You said we are salt. But then back in Revelation, You called out a church that had lost its saltiness, that had become lukewarm because of the things of the world. And so this morning I ask You, Would you be just as real with us as a church and individually as your believers? Jesus, as a pastor, the last thing I would ever want would be to hear you knocking outside that door. Asking if you can come into Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. That would be devastating. And yet we are a church that's made up of fallible, imperfect humans that quite honestly are very easily drawn away to the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comfort, personal peace, affluence, possessions. We are surrounded like the water, the salt. It just surrounds us, calls us, tempts us. So we ask your forgiveness this morning. You just come clean. Jesus, perhaps, not perhaps, Jesus, you haven't been number one relationally. And Jesus, you haven't, you haven't been above all the things in my life. I ask your forgiveness. And I choose to repent, to turn 180 from the things of the world to you. And to daily exercise the spiritual disciplines needed to stay with you. To be in your word to pray, to be in fellowship, to worship, so that the bond remains tight. To be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And so as we prepare for communion, may we uh, hold the cups in remembrance, Jesus, of your sacrifice. But also today, we may, may we hold the cups And use it perhaps as a time of confession and repentance for the saltiness that we have lost. For the lukewarmness that we may have. And may we experience your love as you forgive us and we come back to that all-in relationship you desire. So use this time, Lord, as as only you can in, in the many lives in this room as a time of reflection, repentance, forgiveness, restoration, whatever is needed. We give this time of communion to you. Amen.